afternoon. So I'm speaking this afternoon on the subject of the shepherd and his sheep. And since you're turned there to John chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth, because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. May the Lord bless the reading from his holy word. Hear these words of scripture. Some of these we heard in a couple of my cross-references in the morning sermon, but hear these words before we look at this passage briefly. In him, of course, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. As we've sought to contemplate the love of God, we realize how deep and how great and how wonderful the love of God is. And so, This afternoon, as we're together looking at this passage, I want us to look at the shepherd, most importantly, but also those who are privileged to be his sheep. It's interesting, just briefly, I had a couple of illustrations at lunchtime about sheep, and I'm not an expert whatsoever. I've had very little interaction, though I've had interaction with other animals. I've milked cows, and I've milked goats, and I've ridden horses, and I've seen my grandfather plow with mules, and all kinds of animal things. Uh, hunter, and you know, hunting myself, and field dressed a deer, and I, some of these things you all you know what I'm talking about. But uh, sheep, I've had very little experience with. But here, God uses illustration, not just here, but in the Word of God. Oftentimes, the comparison of His people to sheep, and uh, So the most important emphasis, again, as this morning we went and and, and emphasis of importance as we progress through the sermon is that we're going to look at the shepherd and his sheep and mainly the shepherd. So two simple points I'd like to make this afternoon. I'll give them from the outset. The first is this Christ's unfailing purpose in his redemption. That'll be the last part of verse 15 in our passage. And then secondly, Christ's unfailing purpose in his dominion. And we'll see that from verse 16. So let me go back to verse 15 again. 
It says, as the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ's unfailing purpose in his redemption. Let's start by doing what my friend from Northern Ireland would have done by taking that word, which is a little bit larger, redemption, and making that uh, a little simpler for us. Jesus says that he laid down his life for us. He was our redeemer. What is redemption? What's an easy way to define redemption? Let me give you a simple definition. To release by the payment of a price. Redemption is to release by the payment of a price. Let me go to a verse again that uh, just quoted recently, but it's from Ephesians 1 and verse number 7, which says this, which I just read earlier, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, in whom we have redemption, redemption through his blood, being released by the payment of a price. And what was that price? Well, it was the price of blood. It was the price of Christ giving his life for us. And as we read from the book of 1 Peter that we have not been redeemed with corruptible things. Money couldn't pay for this redemption. We think of it probably in a secular sense of how we redeem something or we pay for something to get it. You know, that's the way we do it, but not in this case. There's nothing that we could do. And so Christ had to do it on our behalf. And so Peter says, it's not corruptible things. It's the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb. There's those references, again, as we see as Christ as the lamb. In the book of Revelation, as the lamb. The sheep and lamb, uh, shepherd illustrations that are used. Now let's look at uh, this in the context of Christ laying down his life. How did he do so? Or what was the, the means? What, what is being told to us when he redeemed us? Well, first of all, Christ doing so, his laying down his life was voluntary. As he said, no one forces me to do this. No one takes my life. I will lay it down freely. When Christ hung upon the cross, he said, it is finished. And he died. So he is the one who did so voluntarily. Secondly, it was sacrificial. There was a sacrifice. Now we talk about sacrifices that are made and obviously, at least from my perspective in America, there aren't too many major sacrifices that we've had to make. Other places in the world is very, very difficult to live. It's very sacrificial. But in this case, here we're talking about a sacrifice. And when you think of sacrifice in a biblical sense, Maybe your mind goes back to the Old Testament as it should to the sacrificial system that was used of those lambs being slain in obedience to the command of God. But there would come a lamb who would put away all those continual sacrifices as he was the sacrifice for us. He was the lamb of God, John said, to take away the sin of the world. So it was voluntary. And just think, too, when we go back to the subject of love and trying to comprehend that our Father, God our Father, would so love us that he would send the Son. 
and that God would enter into human flesh and that he would come and obviously do for us what we could never do for ourselves nor would be seeking to do because of our sin. People who weren't lovely, who completely unlovely, everything we could think of in a negative sense, we were, but God did so on behalf of sinners. And then it was substitutionary in our place. I think of those wonderful words of Philip Bliss's song, one of my favorites, Hallelujah, What a Savior, where he says, In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Again, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. So he laid down his life for the sheep, not only on behalf of the sheep, but in the place of the sheep. He took our wrath. He took our hell for us as he would lay down his life on our behalf. I'd like to explore a word for just a moment. Again, because the understanding kind of in secular America and then for the Christian understanding, I try to emphasize even a little bit right here, is the idea of substitution or substitutionary. It could be, if you're like me, when you think of substitute, you think of something that may not be quite up to par. Uh, For instance, I'm not into diet drinks. I never have been. I never will be. And everybody I talk to says, oh, but if you'll just change, you'll never go back. Well, I'm not going to change, all right? I think they taste terrible, and I want sugar in my drinks, so I don't want the substitute. My father was diagnosed with heart disease early on in his life, and he used to put this pink stuff, sweet and low, and they should have named it something else like terrible and disgusting or whatever, and it would have been a better name, but it tasted awful to me. It still does. It was a substitute, so it wasn't quite the same. I uh, went to schools in Newcastle, and sometimes when our teacher was away or ill, we had a substitute teacher. And a substitute teacher is just, th- I've been a substitute teacher. You're just kind of thrown in. You don't have a clue what you're doing, you know, necessarily. You're trying to take over a class. And then the class, sometimes, you know, they change seats and they change names, and it's just chaos, you know, as it was in my public school when they had a substitute. So you see what I'm saying when it comes to substitute? Our secular thinking is a little bit different, but that's not at all what we're talking about here in the place of someone must stand in our place. Someone had to come in our place. So there's nothing negative. There should be nothing negative. Again, we're trying to dispel those secular ideas of when it comes to Christ as our substitute. You see that same man I talked about from Northern Ireland said this very concise, but so full in meaning it is the doing And dying of Jesus that saves us. It is the doing and dying of Jesus that saves us. It's already been done, we know, but it's what he did. It's all about Christ. It centers on him. It is finished. As I heard one converted priest say, when Christ said, it is finished, it is finished. What is done is done. There's nothing left for us to do. And these are things we need to take to heart, especially as we seek to give this truth out to a needy world. So the Lord Jesus Christ, as the perfect lamb, Christ gave his life by being crucified for our sins. He was our redemption. 
And uh, if you'll turn back a few pages to, we've been in John chapter 1 more than once today. John chapter 1, verse 29. I've just quoted it, but I want you to see it from the scripture. I quoted it a few moments ago. This is when John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Crucified for our sins, because he loved us and gave himself for us. Now, one other fact, let me add to our passage here, or take from our passage, not adding anything to it. Verse 15 says, As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Talking about the two men who were influences on me, one from England, one from Northern Ireland, one of the wonderful things about God using them as he did is that they introduced me to something that I really didn't know. And it's called by different names, but one of the names that we would certainly know is the Reformed faith. And you think of the Protestant Reformation, which I referred to a few times this morning, is certainly just a restoration of biblical Christianity. That's what it is. But a lot of people in churches don't like what is called the Reformed faith, or like we often call them, the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace. Because they exalt God and they humble man. And uh, that's not where a lot of people are. They want to feel good. They want to be all about them. But it's all about Christ. It's all about him. Worship is worship being ascribed to our God and the beauty of holiness, as the psalmist says. So what about Christ saying these words that I lay down my life for the sheep? Well, he knew exactly what he was saying. And like my friend from England would have said, we can stand on our heads and dance a jig and do cartwheels, but you can't overturn the text of what Christ's intended purpose was. Now, it's known by different names, maybe definite atonement you have heard, maybe particular redemption you have heard, maybe if you're looking at an acrostic, maybe limited atonement, but it was a purpose that God had from before eternity that he would extend grace to those who didn't deserve it. And that's what grace is. How could grace be grace if it were deserved? Because grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. So God gave us what we didn't deserve. You know, I gave my mercy illustration at lunch today about mercy, but God gave us grace. God gave us mercy. He didn't give us what we did deserve because he's a God who delights in mercy. And so if you're in Christ this morning, and that's one of Paul's favorite designations we know, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's the only place to be. It's the only safe place to be in Christ. Realize that Jesus was laying down his life for the sheep. Laid down his life for the sheep. Well, secondly, and finally this afternoon, I want us to see Christ's unfailing purpose in his dominion. And to do so, I'd like for us to look at verse 16. Then we're going to go back to an Old Testament passage that is uh, a favorite of mine, which aligns with what we're looking at here today. Verse 16, it says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The idea that I've used here in the word dominion, Christ's unfailing purpose in his dominion, 
You can think of a simple word as rule. And when I think of a king, and Christ is that prophet, priest, and king we sing about, as king, he is the ruler. But there's another word that was also a word that more so I got introduced to as time went on, is the word sovereignty. Sovereign. And that's one who has that right to rule. All authority has been given. All power has been given to Christ in heaven and in earth. So all authority is his. But he says here in this passage something that should be a comfort to us. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. In the New Testament era, mainly who was being dealt with here in the Gospels? It was Jews. In the Old Testament, there were some exceptions, a few of them, but you see a, a history of redeeming people that were Jewish. And then also in the New Testament. But as time went on, that began to change, especially as we know the Apostle Paul. Uh, and they, where he basically said to the Jews, I've had it with you, I'm going to the Gentiles. And praise God that he did. A missionary like no other. And he took this message. So Jesus is referring to that fact. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. So there's going to be one shepherd and one sheep. Something else that happened in my life and growing up, and I didn't even know it for the longest time, was the emphasis upon disunity. They weren't trying to call it disunity, but in the scriptures, the disunity. You know, basically God having plans that he's throwing out as time goes on. Folks, God's purpose is unified. The scriptures are a unified book. The scarlet thread of redemption is from Genesis to Revelation. The unity of God's plan, the unity of God's purpose, and the unity of God's people. Because he tells us here that there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Because who are any of us outside of Christ? Who are any of us outside of Christ? You know, when Job saw himself in the latter part of his writings, when he looked at himself, he said, Behold, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. That was the godly man Job, after all he'd been through. I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Because God basically said, Who are you, Job? Here, once you listen to this. Hear this, Job. I'm God. You're not. And so he humbly expressed his heart to God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. In my flesh, Job said, I shall see God. Remember, Job is most likely the oldest book in the world. Certainly the oldest book in the Bible. But you see what grace does. A friend of mine who may have ministered here before, Dr. Mike Barrett, used to always say, grace never leaves a man or woman where it finds them. Grace never leaves us where it finds us. Because it's a life of grace. It's all of grace. Grace. Paul said it well. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, we here this morning, if we're in Christ, are what we are. I must bring them. You see, Jesus' purpose is unthwartable. There's a word for us. Cannot be thwarted. It's unthwartable. Nothing can prevent him from accomplishing his purpose. A lot of people may, you know, kind of wring their hands. Oh, you know, the devil's active and all his demonic hosts. What's going on? Folks, like Luther said, the devil is God's devil. And Satan's always going to accomplish what God allows him. Just like in the life of Job, you read and see there, this can happen, Satan, but only so far. God is a sovereign one. Satan is a created being. So all authority, all dominion, all power is God's. 
which we see from the scriptures and certainly we're emphasizing now. Nothing can stop his purpose. Jesus said these words and he meant them. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is building his church. Isn't it heartwarming to you when you hear places, the far-flung places of the world and the testimony of people coming to faith, the people getting the scriptures in their own language. I mean, those kinds of things are happening because God is building his church. He says of the sheep, they will hear my voice. Now, I didn't bring a copy of the shorter catechism with me, but it was in my mind when I made this point about the call, the gospel call. They will hear my voice. First of all, there is a general call. Go into all the world, Jesus said, and preach the gospel to every creature. The general call, making that call known. Jesus saves, we sing. I mean, there's other ways we can talk about as the one section in your hymnal, gospel grace, giving the gospel, the good news. But in saying that, not only is there that general call as what Jesus would be getting to in this passage, as we understand it, the effectual call, that work of God, that work of grace where he brings that person to himself. A person who in and of themselves is dead and trespasses and sins. That's where Ephesians 2 says we are. So he makes them alive who were there. And then we understand for by grace we are saved through faith. Faith is not of ourselves. Faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created unto Christ Jesus, or created in Christ Jesus unto good works, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So that's what we see then. They will hear my voice. God will not fail in his purpose. God has chosen them. He will bring them to himself. There will be one flock. There'll be one shepherd. There will be unity. You know, I mentioned earlier about the person of Christ and how John this morning, we talked about that all the things that John was doing concerning love. He also showed that Jesus is God. And he began with in the beginning was the word. But when you go to the first couple of chapters of Genesis, you find these things happening. God said, and what happened? It was. God said, and it was. Imagine, I heard an eloquent black preacher when I was driving here a few weeks ago, and I thought, boy, I, I wish I could get this. Uh, it was from years ago. We get the way he was talking about creation, but nothingness. And God spoke, and God brought it into existence. One of the words that you may hear sometimes, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God spoke. And remember that as you read the Gospel of John, who was it who made all things? It was Christ. Nothing was made that wasn't made by him. And that's why John focuses on that and on the I am statements of who Christ was. All this referring that he is Yahweh. He is the Jehovah of all time and before time. But God said, and it was. And then he also pronounced things good, and it was good. God did all of this. So there's no way that God's plans can be thwarted. Like I heard this afternoon at lunch, God rules. God rules. And he does. Now, I lose focus of that often when I look at Washington, and I look at my neighborhood, and I look at, the, you know, it's very easy for me to become disheartened. I don't know about you all. But then I have to be reminded, God reigns. He's in control. 
He is the sovereign one who has dominion over all. Now, I mentioned the Old Testament passage, and I haven't forgotten, even though I will add a year to my life tomorrow. Uh, senior moment. No, no. I have an Old Testament verse from uh, Daniel. If you'll turn back to Daniel chapter 7. I think this is very, very uh, helpful for us when we think of this in, in light of what we've talked about. Actually, I'm going to read two verses, verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7. Daniel said, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him, this is Christ, of course, there was given him dominion, there's that word, of course, sovereignty, rule, and glory, and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Now, what does the gospel mean literally? Gospel means good news, right? What we've just read, is that good news or what? Is that good news? That is good news of what God tells us through the prophet Daniel concerning Christ and his dominion and his kingdom. How it's eternal, everlasting. One of the scenes that we see in the book of Revelation is that scene where crowns are being cast at the feet of the Lamb. And praise being made. Of course, we think of the creatures that are there, those uh, angelic-type creatures that are praising God day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of His glory, the Lord God Almighty. And think of also Revelation. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, of course, God of gods. He is the ultimate ruler, the sovereign one. And I want us to conclude here to see course Christ but how his purpose is being brought about right now even in the moments that we are living until it will come to its closing purpose we don't know when that is but it will come to an end there will be a time when God's purpose is completed upon this earth I like what Dr. Panosian used to say history is his story I've never forgotten that history is his story so in conclusion Galatians 6 if you don't mind turning there, I know I've cross-referenced a little bit to help us see these things, but they help us. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, and here we have that in things that we have discussed here today. So beginning here in Galatians 6, verse 14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Now that would be a nice distinction of the Jew and the Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are. Ethically, it matters, are you in Christ? That's what matters. And verse 16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace on them in mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Israel. And that was a name given to a man named Jacob. 
Jacob. Do you remember Jacob? Jacob, his name meant cheater, basically. Heel grabber, heel snatcher. And he was pretty good at that. And then there was a time when he was wrestling with an angel all night long. And the angel touched him in the thigh. He halted, he limped upon that the rest of his life. He says, no longer are you going to be Jacob, you're going to be Israel, prince with God. And so for the believer, for we who are undeserving of any of these things, I think we've made that case clear, we are undeserving of this, God is going to make us the Israel of himself. Princes and princesses, the people of God, adopted, join heirs, this royal inheritance that we have which we don't deserve, but it's ours because of our king, children of the king. That old song, I'm a child of the king, I'm a child of the king. And what a blessing to think upon that Christ so loved us that he laid down his life on our behalf.